So my changing role, I no longer have direct supervision of the food pantry. Chris Owens does that and does a, does a phenomenal job. But something I've always loved about the food pantry is when you open the doors and the people come into the gathering room and they're waiting for the name to be called, I look out over that crowd and as an extreme active extrovert, I just look at those people and I think, you know, these aren't, these aren't strangers to me. These are just friends I haven't met yet. Lots of them. And so I love diving in there and just get to know some of these friends. And, and one guy I got to know, um, his name was Daniel Suits. And uh, Daniel taught me some incredible lessons about life. You see, Daniel was on disability. And uh, as I got to know him, um, I thought, you know, maybe I can give Daniel uh, a little unsolicited advice and, and help him. He was struggling financially. And I thought, maybe there's a way that I can, I can help Daniel uh, with his financial struggles. And so I talked about some opportunities that were available in the community as a part-time job at McDonald's and and some other places that were hiring. And um, in my mind, I was presenting that in a pretty gentle way, you know, in a, in a way that I thought would be a good opportunity for him. But I'm sure in, uh, in my Dutchness, in uh, my direct personality, what he probably felt and what he probably heard was, you know, you're, you're kind of lazy. You really need to get a job. And however he heard that, he was offended. And uh, he told me that uh, he'd love to see me spend one day in his pain-ridden body. He had fallen off a telephone pole years ago and never complained about his pain, but he had pain throughout his entire body every single day. And so he taught me an important lesson about seeking to understand before I seek to be understood. Since he was on a fixed income, I knew he didn't have a lot of money. Another time there was a guest that was talking to myself and some other food pantry volunteers about needing gas money. And we had had different opportunities in the past to help people with gas money and we're trying to figure this out. Well, here comes Dan there to get food and he pushes his cart and he stops, he pulls his wallet out, takes a $20 bill, gives it to the guest, and he says, there you go. He said, I get more money on Monday, and he pushes, pushes his card out. And uh, all of us were just sitting there in shame, just realizing that that's the generosity that we need to show. You don't have to give money to everybody that asks for it, but uh, when there's a need that presents itself, maybe that's the way we need to act. Well, Dan called the pastor on call line on December 23rd, and uh, hadn't talked to him, hadn't seen him in quite a while, and uh, the pastor on call, for those of you who don't know, there's always a pastor on call at White River. And so as, as pastors, we take turns as, as, in rotations of weeks at a time. And uh, so I wasn't on call, Philip Strickland was, but we all get an audio file of the email. And so I clicked on that, listened to it, and he said, hey, this is Daniel Suits. And uh, he said, um, I'm not very good with names, but there's a pastor there that I've known for a while. And uh, I'm dying. And uh, I'd just like to talk to somebody. And so I thought, man, I gotta give him a call. So I gave him a call, and uh, he said, yeah, um, things aren't going so well. He, he said uh, another pastor had called him before. I thought, Philip Strickland, kudos, way to go. I already talked to him. And uh, so I said, well, I, I'd, I'd love to come up there and say hello to you. Uh, his brother was passing away years ago, and I visited him. I brought him to Starbucks before I, I met with him, and Daniel knew that. So I said, well, how about I pick you up a Starbucks, and uh, we'll, we'll talk. And um, so, so that sounded good. I hung up. A couple emails later, um, as I was clicking through a couple other ones before I headed up there, there was an email from Northview Church. It was a response to a seminar we had gone to, and uh, they were offering free Starbucks uh, because of the busy holidays. I thought, well, bam, there's my free Starbucks. I'll take that coupon and uh, go and go see Daniel. So we're sitting there, and, and he told me he was in the house between two campers. If you want to take a look at this, this is um, in Noblesville. And uh, he usually lives in the camper, but if you remember that weekend, Christmas weekend, it was freezing cold, sub-zero. So he was in the house between, there's another camper to the right of that house, and he was in about a 10 by 10 foot room with a wood-burning stove and a recliner 
and a, a TV um, on the wall. And uh, we sat there and, and talked. And uh, he said, you know, I, I want to be right with God. I want to be sure I'm right with God. And he could never wrap his mind around the fact that Jesus had died and rose from the dead. I can't blame him. Difficult to, to truly get to a place where we believe that is real. You know, he was looking for proof. And um, he said, I want to be right with God. And I asked him, I said, do you believe that Jesus is God's son? He said, yes, I do. I said, do you believe that he died and, and he rose from the dead? And he said, tears in his eyes. He said, yeah, I do. And I said, it's amazing, you know, the perspective someone gets when they're staring death in the face. And he said he had about one to three months left to live. He had cirrhosis of the liver. And uh, so here's, here's a picture of Dan and I with a Starbucks. And um, he prayed to accept Jesus Christ into his heart that day. And as I think about, you know, the, the lessons that, that Dan taught me, and I think about the importance of just living out our faith, even though Dan didn't understand and, and didn't wrap his mind around some of the things that, that most of us here believe, he still showed that. Now, as I was driving home, I was celebrating what God had done. A couple days later, I said something to Philip Strickland. I said, man, thank you for calling him, and I explained what happened. And he said, uh, he said yeah, well, Dan, um, I talked to him for about an hour, and uh, I prayed with him to accept Jesus into his heart while well, I was talking to him, to him as well. And I said, I think Dan was doubling down and just making sure, like, he's going to accept Jesus. Like, maybe if I do it twice, it, it's really going to stick, you know? So I'm like, you know, better, better than twice than, than not at all. And as we are in this book of James, and uh, we're studying how faith works, we're learning about putting our faith into action. And specifically, a hard lesson today in chapter two about the fact that faith is judged. And what does that really mean? We're gonna look pretty uh, intently at verses that talk about the fact that God judges our faith based on the level of mercy that we show. So he shows the same level of mercy to us that we show to other people. And I'm telling you that as I wrestled with this uh, difficult lesson to try to come across in a way uh, that makes sense and, and I need the Holy Spirit to lead me in this. Will you guys bow your heads with me before we jump into this? Great and good Heavenly Father, I thank you and uh, I praise you for your word. God, I thank you for the lessons that you teach us through uh, people that sometimes, God, if I'm honest, I, I, I'm not convinced I can learn from. And I just pray that you open our eyes, Lord, to uh, the power of relationships around us, the, the power of just stepping into other people's lives and I thank you for Dan Suits. And uh, I pray, dear God, that um, you continue to lead us as we move into this book of James. Open our eyes, dear God, to what you would have us learn. I pray that the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts will be pleasing to you. So about a week later, uh, Dan's son called me and uh, let me know that he passed away. That he didn't make it one to three months. And uh, we have the confidence of knowing that he accepted Jesus Christ. And I just want you to know that um, there are people that are being impacted by God's word on a daily basis around here, and you have, a, you have a role in that, you have a piece in that, eternity is being changed, and in the process, um, your pastors are learning a lot from the people that we're interacting with. Hey, we're gonna be in James 2 today. I want you to open up your Bibles, jump into James. We're, we're gonna look at the last part of James 1 to begin with, and uh, it's interesting how uh, the last part of James 1 really is kind of an outline for what's to come. And there's an outline verses for, for chapters that are coming and really for the whole book of James even. You look at James 1, verse 22, if you're with me there, it says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. 
Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. So the whole book of James is talking about putting God's word into action. And not just listening to it, but doing what it says. And the next three verses, you know, Lance was talking about how there's, there's random topics. And James does jump around a lot. And it's hard when you look at a chapter to, to decide what are you really going to focus on? And uh, how can we get something coherent and, and specific out of a chapter that has so many different topics? And that's true. But as we look through it and continue to read through it, I was talking to Andrew Smiley. And he said, you know, it occurred to me that the last few verses of chapter one are kind of foreshadowing for what's to come. It's almost like a theme verse for the next chapters. So verse 25 is kind of a theme for this chapter we're looking at today. It says, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. It's all about doing the will of God and having an active faith. That's what we're talking about today. Verse 26 says, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Chapter three is primarily about controlling the tongue. So give me a little forecast of what's to come, but it's interesting how the next verse, verse 27, says pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Chapter four has a lot to do with resisting corruption in the world. And uh, it's incredible how the Holy Spirit just gave James kind of forecasting. He had these specific topics and then he unpacks them in later chapters. So if you're reading through the book of James, which we encourage you to do, if you read one chapter a day, uh, you can get through the book of James multiple times while we're doing this. If you haven't been doing that, I encourage you to do it. It's amazing um, what he'll open your mind up to. So as we look at the whole book of James, it's really about the kingdom upside down. You know, the way that we view earth, the way that we see society and popularity and power and fame, Jesus' kingdom just continues to be contrary to that in every single way. And so we thought we'd do a couple things differently around here. You, you might notice that in the service today. We've got a few more worship songs toward the end to give you a chance to reflect, but we're trying to, to flip some things on their heads. So even as we go through this chapter, instead of just starting at the beginning and going through, I really want us to focus on that, that first half of the chapter and leave you with those thoughts. But we wanted to cover the whole chapter. So we're gonna do something crazy, start in the middle, and we're gonna do the second half of the chapter first, then we're gonna come back to the first half of the chapter. So jump into verse 14 with me. And uh, the heading at the beginning of chapter two, verse 14 is faith without good deeds is dead. So verse 14 says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing or gas money. And you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. Hope you get to your next stop. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing or gas money. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. You know, I want to be very clear that, that to James, um, to us here, and I believe to God, there is only one kind of faith. There's only one kind of faith, and that is active faith that shows actions. You know, you look at the question in verse 14. If you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? It's a rhetorical question, right? The answer is no. It's not a saving faith. And you know, we're, we're not here as, as pastors and teachers to tickle your ears every Sunday. And this lesson is a tough one. But I want this congregation, I want the followers of Jesus Christ, the apprentices of Jesus Christ here, 
to be different in our lives and in our community. If we're gonna do that, we have to be living different lives. We can't just show up here and play church. It's not why we're here. And it's not as a specific reprimand, just a challenge to myself that I hear as I read this. I can't just read this, hear it, and it not transform me and impact me and change me in a powerful way. Dead faith is not faith. Dead faith is not faith at all. A Christian that doesn't show it in the way they live, something is desperately wrong. Let's continue to read through there. Verse 18. It says, now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good works is useless? It's an example of, of basic belief that God exists. And maybe that's where, where you're at today. And that's a huge step. You know, I've talked to plenty of people that don't believe there's a God. It's all accidental. Um, this is all just by chance that we're here and that the universe was created. That, to me, is, is insanely foolish. But it's hard to look out there and imagine there's not a God. But belief alone is not faith. Belief is not faith. You know, it includes recognition of a God without repentance. So what do we see in Scripture that the demons believe? They believe many things. They believe in God. You know, they believe that Jesus is Lord. They believe in eternal punishment. They know the Bible. You see, Satan was an angel that was created by God, Lucifer, rebelled against God, was kicked out of heaven along with a third of the angels. Those are the demons. Trust me, they know the power of God. They know the power of God. They were created by God. So they have recognition of God and his power, but they do not have repentance and they do not have faith. So if you say you believe, that's not actual faith. So look at verse 21. I want you to pay attention to these next several verses, how often the word actions is used in the New Living Translation. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she had those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So actions reveal active faith, the only real kind of faith that there is. There has to be actions. So regardless of, of your church background, you know, what Bible studies you've been in, and maybe this is the first time you've been in church in, in a long, long time. Maybe you've led Bible studies. But regardless of where you are in your faith journey, um, I think most people have a sense that, that there's verses in the Bible, that there's a general Christian teaching that if we believe, that that's enough. Right? One of the most popular, well-known verses, John 3, 16, for God sold the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I'll be clear, we're not changing theology, we're not changing doctrine here, 
We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ alone. We've always said Jesus plus nothing equals forgiveness and salvation. That is still true. Nothing is changing there. We're not teaching salvation by works. But if you say you believe in Jesus, that should make a difference. It should make a difference in your life. You know, maybe you've got ideas, those of you that know the Bible a little more deeply, of, of some of Paul's writings in Ephesians and Romans that talk about this. So we don't want to shy away from hard teaching here. We don't want to dance around that. We're going to look directly at it, and I want to do my very best to explain what I think is going on there. Romans 3, verse 27 to 28, if you want to turn there. Romans 3, verses 27 to 28. It says, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we're made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. So it's fair to ask, are we saved by faith or by works? You know, when you read that and you read James, what is, what is the truth? You know, Paul and James both talk about this in their books. So how do we understand these verses to agree? How do we come to a place where they're saying the same thing? I'd say we let the Bible speak for itself. Let's look at Romans 3, verse 28, and James 2, verse 24, on the screen together. So Romans 3, verse 28, says, so we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Okay, we're made right with God. Some versions would use the word justified. Maybe you've heard that in the past. Justified always was taught meant just as if I'd never sinned. So we're made right with God by faith. James 2, 24 says, so you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do and not by faith alone. How can those both be true? Well, many scholars and, and your leaders at White River, as I said earlier, we agree that there's one faith, this active faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead. Can someone really believe that and not be transformed? Can someone believe that the God that spoke and created the universe could send his son and have faith in that, in that person, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior and not be changed? You know, I, I think if, if Paul and James were listening to each other preaching, let's say James is listening to, to Paul and James hears Paul say, you know, we are saved by faith alone. And I think James would lift up a hearty Southern Baptist, amen, brother. I think if, Paul was listening to James. They heard James say, you know, your faith without works is dead. I think you give a heartfelt, intellectual, amen, brother, amen, amen. James was Jesus' unbelieving brother until he saw his brother die on the cross. And it says specifically that Jesus revealed himself to James. I gotta believe in that moment, just the veils fell off James' eyes. And realized, this, this is the Messiah. I saw him die. I saw him die and he's living now. So for James to even imagine that someone could say they believe in Jesus, say they have faith and not be completely transformed, it, it's completely absurd. To even imagine that someone could feel like that and, and believe that is out of his mind. The, the bottom line is our actions reveal an active faith. Our actions reveal whether we have a real faith or not. 
So I thought it important to, to lay a foundation. Make sure when you stand, what does faith mean? What does the Bible as a whole teach about faith? And then specifically in James 2, how does he apply that? So let's continue, and we'll go back to the beginning of the chapter now. James 2, verses 1 through 13. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? An element of our actions and our attitude that reveals our heart. For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry. Another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or I'll sit on the floor. Well, does this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said, you must not commit adultery, also said, you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. Now pay close attention to these two verses. This is a focus for us today. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There'll be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Our faith is judged by our actions. Our faith is actually judged by our actions. The level of mercy that we show to other people that are in need and hurting around us is the level of mercy that God will show to us. So you look at that verse one and the question there. We have to wrestle with this. How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? So I wanna ask you, how do you respond to people in need? When you see someone that's hurting around you or, or you're made aware of it, you know, whether it's internationally or local, uh, in this area, do you do anything? Or do you, like I do sometimes, think, well, maybe they, they made some bad decisions, you know, and, and I can't help them now because they, they probably did some things in the past that uh, caused them to get into the situation, I, and I justify not doing anything. You know, be real specific, especially in Indianapolis, I see people on the street corner, and I hear these stories about how much money some of them make, and... Um, my wife has taken a good step and have granola bars available and, and at least give them something to eat. But uh, I, I'm very judgmental when I see them in those situations. How about people that, that you don't like? How do you treat people that you don't like? A coworker? A White River Christian Church pastor? Maybe a couple White River Christian Church pastors. What about that person that has severely opposing political views or religious views? Or maybe that person is in your family and you just spent time with them over the holidays and you're thinking about that person right now, how they drive you crazy. Now I learned a long time ago, if you linger longer with a person, you can stand to learn a whole lot more about them. Kind of what Dan taught me too. Dan Suits. Lean into that relationship. Seek to understand before you seek to be understood. You know, Jesus 
hung out with the most extreme sinners of the sinful, right? Prostitutes, tax collectors, had them in his closest circle of followers. You know, Matthew was a tax collector, a Jew who collected taxes from Jews for the Romans. So what would that mean today? I mean, if we give extreme examples, you know, who would that be? Rapists, child molesters, those that get, that get beat up by their prisoners in jail. What about those who are responsible for mass shootings? Most of us don't have the opportunity to interact with them, but those, those are people, those are souls that we should pray for, that we long to be in heaven with us. What about on a little more practical level? The annoying neighbor that always wants to talk to you when you're in a hurry. What about that gossiping parent that always fills your ear with, with garbage at the soccer game or at the, at the tennis match? What do we do those kind of people. How do we step in and, and love those people? Who is that in your life? Again, I look at James 2, verses 12 to 13. So whatever you say, whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Our faith is judged by our actions. All right. How about the other side of the coin? We're talking about people that are in need, that are hurting, that annoy us, and, and how maybe we don't step into that. Well, who do you hang out with, and why? Who do you surround yourself with? You know, is it is the, the people with the next shiny things that might bring you popularity, prominence, power? You see them as a, as a means to the end? You know, maybe it's in your social circles, or, or at school, or even at church. You know, why do you buddy up to people that you do buddy up to? You know, in our culture, we are so about the next shiny thing. You know, speaking of, I got this little shiny thing about two weeks ago. You talk about a headache. This thing sat in the box for a week because I was scared to death to activate it, thinking I was going to lose all my contacts. And now, I don't think I'm the most technologically challenged person, but uh, I wanted to be in a Verizon store with an expert before I would touch this. Well, we could go Sunday. I'm like, why am I so scared of this thing? I can do that. I'm gonna, I can, people do this all the time. So, you know, I open it. it took me a while to open the box, to be honest. <laughs> that little green thing you got to rip off, couldn't find it. So I activate my phone, and like step two or three is use an active phone in your home to call this number so you can give them that number and, and move on. I already deactivated my old phone. Now I've got this thing that, that's not working yet, and I've got no one in the house with an active phone. My wife's out of the house. I can't even move on. So she comes home, thank goodness, I get through that next step, and then it's uploading some operating system, iOS 16.3, and it's uploading. Four hours later, I abort that mission. The next morning, it's still saying reconnecting. So I, I sheepishly drag this thing in to the Verizon store. I'm like, I, I can't get this thing. I got no working phone. What am I supposed to do? I don't know how to get this thing working. So you really need to buy iCloud storage and transfer your information. So I, I bite the bullet, and I pay $2.99 a month, which is killing me for some mysterious iCloud store. Monday night, I've got mission leaders coming over to my house and I'm sneaking in the spare bedroom trying to get this thing to work still. So I get on my knees after they leave. I'm not even kidding. And I say, Lord, please help this thing just to, just to download. And you know I use this for a tool for mis... I'm like, you and I both know I use this for personal stuff. Lord, please just make this phone work. I open it up and there's all my apps and it's working. I'm like, thank you, Lord. My, my dad always said, the more you have, the more you have to take care of. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. 
a boat, a cottage, a lake house, things. You know, and, and God has blessed a lot of people in this area with great resources, but how much of our time and attention and money go to those next shiny things? And how much does that distract us? What do we even present to other people that we have to have that next thing? What are we, what are we showing our kids? You know, we wonder why they want name brand everything. Well, if, if that's where we're living, again, not that there's anything inherently wrong with that, but I think it's the other side of the coin of, you know, if we're not showing favoritism to those in need, you know, are we showing favoritism to those, the, the rich person that says in James, that has the nice fancy clothes? And why are we doing that? And does that maybe cloud our judgment, cloud the actions we need to take for that next step? So again, James 2, verses 12 to 13. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you'll be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Our faith is judged by our actions. Now, why does James teach this? Why does the Holy Spirit put this on his heart? Because he wants you to have the best life possible. It's not for you to leave feeling guilty today. Should you be challenged? Yeah, I was. And I want you to be challenged as well. Challenged to live a life that's faithful to Jesus Christ in the way that he lived. He showed mercy and love to the most despicable of all people. And if we do that, God knows something happens inside of us. It just changes us. Makes us see the world in a different way. Makes us see people in a different way. The scales fall from my eyes and we see life more clearly. And that's what he wants for you. If our body is doing that, I'm telling you, boy, it's unbelievable what God will continue to do here if we can catch that vision and live this out. So think of one person, a family, that you can't make, not, not making a project and have them over for dinner one time, but really think about someone you can develop a friendship with over time and just watch and see how God changes you and that person. Pray with me. Dear God in heaven, I thank you for your word. Well, this is challenging stuff, but uh, God, I know you want us to step into this. Reveal to us how we take this next step. God, show us how we can be active in our faith. We don't want dead faith, God. We don't want to walk around as zombies. Father, we want our faith to be active and vibrant and changing lives all around us. Lead us in that. Show these people who they need to step into relationship with and show myself and my family as well. Pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.